and welcome to The Detour. I'm Kieran Bond, the show's producer, and I want to welcome you to the second episode in a mini-series on organising. When coming up with the themes for this mini-series, we were looking at the different dimensions of organising and how people organise, which is what we covered in our last episode with Hari Han, Bruce Poinsett, Joy Elise Davis, Keith Jenkins and Marcus Legrand. If you haven't already, do check it out. It's a great conversation. In this episode, we wanted to think about who organises, and I was reminded of the stories I've heard about the powerful young organisers making waves across the state, from Portland to LeGrand, Rogue Valley and beyond. When I brought this idea to my colleague Roselle Medina, who thinks a lot about organising and advocacy work, he said, sure, youth organising is interesting, but intergenerational organising is more interesting. And it got me thinking about the ways that Oregon Humanities seeks to work with people across identities, geographies and values, and how most of the issues we see youth working on, especially climate justice, are those that impact all of us, no matter who we are, where we live, what we believe in, or even how many years we've been alive. So I took Rizal up on his offer to organise a panel discussion with two youth organisers and one not youth organiser on intergenerational organising and why we need everyone, not just inspiring young people, to fight the good fight. This conversation dives into those ideas, as well as thoughts about power, change and anger but reminds us that while anger is a powerful force for change, love is stronger. Ada Crandall is a 16-year-old organiser with Sunrise PDX Youth vs ODOT campaign and the co-lead of the Portland Youth Climate Strike. Her advocacy focuses on the intersection of transportation and climate justice, specifically working to oppose several freeway expansions across the region. Danny Cage is a speaker and youth organiser advocating for racial justice, education reform and LGBTQ plus rights. Danny serves on the PPS Facilities and Operations Committee and in 2022 was appointed by Governor Kate Brown to serve on the Oregon Environmental Justice Council as a youth representative. And finally, our nearly not youth organiser Susanna Kasuf is a social studies teacher at Grant High School in Portland, Oregon and a co-founder of the Sunrise Movement PDX. She's a contributor to Rethinking Schools and the Zin Education Project and believes that education can be the foundation for a just and caring world. Hey, welcome to The Detour. My name's Adam Davis. And as part of our early 2023 podcast and radio show, we're talking about organizing. And uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about intergenerational organizing. And I'm happy to say I'm here at X-Ray Studios with Ada Crandall, Danny Cage, and Susanna Kasuf. And before we do anything else, can I just ask as a way of starting, and maybe Ada, you could start us, like, uh, organizing. How did that show up for you as a thing in your life? Yeah, I feel like I was organizing before I realized I was organizing because what I started with um, was building a movement with my peers to stop the expansion of a freeway into our middle school, Harriet Tubman. And so we were planning rallies, we were getting people to go show up and testify. We were doing all these things that I now recognize as organizing, but at the time I didn't think of myself as an organizer. I thought of myself as a student who was doing the only thing that I could think to do when you're faced with that terrifying situation of like the climate crisis is happening and the state is trying to expand car infrastructure. Um, And I realize now that like what I was doing was pretty incredible at that young age, like being able to bring that group of people together and get them to realize our power. Even if you didn't have the name organizing for it, now you look back and you think that's what was going on. Yes. 
Cool. Well, there's lots in there already. We'll come back to you. But Susanna, can you say a word about organizing? Yeah. So I guess it was the in 2018, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, came out this report that was like, we have, what was it at the time, like 12 years to cut our global emissions in half if we want to prevent runaway climate change and all these just really scary effects of it. And I went you know, when that came out, I read all these articles about it and I kind of just like couldn't stop reading all these articles mm. about it and just picturing this really apocalyptic, scary future for myself and kind of seeing all my like hopes and dreams feel like they were no longer accessible to me. And I had so much fear and I went through a really like significant period of depression. And I read this book, Active Hope by Joanna Macy, and it really made me realize that the only way I was going to get out of this place of despair was to do something about it. And I had been like scrolling through social media one day and I saw a post by the Sunrise Movement, which was this national movement of youth organizers fighting the climate crisis. And they didn't have a chapter in Portland yet. And so I reached out to them and a bunch of us other kind of young people in Portland got together and launched the Portland chapter here. And for a year of my life, like 2019 mostly, it was just like every moment of my life was dedicated to that. And I was training to be a teacher at the time. I was 29 years old and I was still considered like a youth organizer at the time. I feel like I'm on like on the cusp now. Um, and it was so empowering. I just felt like, wow, we really, we can make a difference and we can support each other in no matter what it is. And all my thoughts about organizing have really grown and changed since then. But that time will always be like one of the most significant and important moments of my life. So I'm going to go from Susanna to Danny, and Danny can, yeah, organizing. Where did that start showing up for you? Yeah, um, for me, organizing started showing up a lot during um, the Black Lives Matter protest. Um, I mean, I, like I just, I think I kind of like what Ada said is like, you don't, you don't know, like no one knows they're an organizer. No one like really sets out to be an activist. Like you don't just wake up and you're like, oh, I'm going to be an activist. Um, and just during the Black Lives Matter protests, we had this big, you know, big giant election going on with a person who had not been the best president to many people, or at least half the country. <laughs> um, and also this giant uprising of people and civil unrest. Um, and, you know, like just being a person who is like, well, I, I have the ability to organize young people to do election work. I have the ability to get people to register to vote who are, you know, uh, 18, 19, 20. And I have the ability to hold a sign and to get people to show up in spaces. And that's really where it started off for me. Whereas I was like, I was able to print paper and go around neighborhoods and pit information up. And I was able to get people slowly to join me for different events or different causes and slowly it's just started to turn into something that I was able to get, you know, first one person and then, you know, 30 people to, you know, get out the vote hmm. or, you know, get, you know, 200 people to show up and, uh, you know, a space to hold for, you know, a memorial for uh, a black person who had uh, lost their lives to this white supremacist system. 
Um, and that's kind of where it sh- showed up to me was like, I was just like, oh, I have, I have to do something. Hmm. So it's interesting. So for all three of you, it sounds like there was a response to something in the world. Mm-hmm. And it was in, in that response that you started moving towards a thing, which maybe you now see as organizing. Mm-hmm. Danny, you said a few times, you said, I had the ability to, I have, and all those things were pretty approachable. I can print copies of something. I can get a few people to show up. Was that deliberate that you put it in those terms that you were talking about things that it seems like most people can do? Yeah. um, I think that there, a lot of people have like this idea that you have to be like, I don't know, magical or, (laughs) you know, super strong, bolded. Um, and, you know, before I started doing this work, I was actually super shy, extrovert. A lot of people would be shocked now. Like (laughs) as a child, I would be the type of child who like hides behind their parent when like someone else comes up and they're like, what's your name? And I'm like, no, don't don't talk to me. Um, but you know, I was able to it and you know, like the printing out the paper thing. Um, I was able to print out paper. I was able to, you know, in Multnomah County, um, you just uh, go to the library and you print out paper. I went to the library and used the taxpayer dollars that are already in use right now um, and printed out library paper for posters. I was able to post on Instagram. Mm. Um, you know, like social media uh, especially has been utilized really in the last two years of organizing is something that a lot of people who have access, of course, to social media um, can use for the greater good. Well, thank you. It actually made me think back, Ada, to what you were saying about you were in middle school. You were at Harriet Tubman. Uh, Were you aware at the time that there was something like almost precocious about that, that that you were young to be doing this? Or did it just seem like the thing to do? I mean, it was definitely not how I imagined middle school would be for me. Like, you know, I was I was a kid. I was thinking about soccer practice and hanging out with my friends and like getting my math homework in on time. And then suddenly it felt like my life sort of changed from that to like, oh, my goodness, like this freeway is going to be expanded into our school. And I'm like terrified about my generation's future because we're breathing in like asthma causing pollution every single day at recess and like. 40% of our state's emissions come from transportation and we're still continuing to go deeper down that status quo. And I think like to what Danny said, like it's fascinating how how much voice people can realize that they have when they're forced to use that voice, because I feel like. You know, I'm I'm an organizer, not out of choice, but out of necessity. I'm an organizer because I didn't feel like I had an option. And like I was shy, too. And a lot of people in my life were really like shocked, like Danny said, like when I got up in front of this like metro task force and started talking about how scared I was about the freeway. And like I I think it's sort of like living in these two different worlds of like having to present yourself with this confidence and power, like in order to be taken seriously, but then on the inside realizing like I am a 16 year old who's like trying to like live my life and figure out what it means to be a person in the world. And it's an absurd amount of responsibility to be put on us. Hmm. Lots there, including the word you finished up with, which was responsibility. And you said responsibility put on you. I guess I want to, I saw you, Susanna, nodding at a couple of key points, including when Ada said forced. Mm -hmm. What were you nodding at? What are you thinking about around that? 
Yeah, well, I'm a high school teacher. I teach ninth grade. Um, and I'm so I think about this all the time because, like, on the one hand, I think it's I can't stand hearing people be like, this generation is going to save us. Like, it's their responsibility to save us when, like Ada said, like, they should be able to just, like, be kids and hang out with their friends and go to soccer practice. And it's it's so, like, it makes me want to cry almost because it's just so unfair that we put this on these kids. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I do think that your teenage years are years that align with activism quite well mm-hmm. because you in those in those years you have like more of a need than in any other point in your life to like be social and activism gives you that and you are more willing to like take risks and activism needs that and you're more willing to you have you know I wouldn't say you like have more time because you do have a lot of responsibilities <laughs> as a teen especially like in the school like Grant where there's just like all this academic pressure but I think that the kinds of ways that I think it can be like a healthy avenue for a lot of things that you need to do and as a teen. And so I think it can be really like generative and wonderful when it's not like the whole world is on your shoulders. Like we have this the thing I love about Sunrise Movement is that it's really based around song and we would sing at every meeting. And one of my favorite songs is like, don't go put in the world on your shoulders. And it says that a few times and it says like, you don't have to do this alone. Hmm. And I think that, you know, when I started organizing and I got really into climate organizing and my like tagline was like, we have 12 years, like we have to do this in 12 years or we will fail. And as I've gotten older, or I don't know if it's like older, just like had more experience with this, like... I'm not sure how useful that was because the movement is something that is like forever lasting and we can't all be 100% on in the movement at all times. There's like um there's like this parable of like the choir and how like a choir can hold a note essentially forever because some people can drop out and breathe and other people can hold it. And so I think that when it comes to organizing, like it can be really generative and amazing if we focus on it being generative and amazing. If we make sure that we're like making time to care for each other and to party together and to take breaks and to rest and not putting all the pressure on us to save the world, especially on the, on teens. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess I want to ask both Ada and Danny, like, how has it felt to try to integrate or balance uh, the movement work and like soccer and school? (laughs) And how do you decide what you're putting time into, Ada? It's really hard. Like people, people will ask me like, what are your extracurriculars? And it's like, oh, climate organizing. And I think a lot of adults don't realize, like, the the young people who are really, really engaged in this fight, like, how much of our time and energy and capacity is, is being taken up with this. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I I try my best to sort of separate the two and, like, let myself have that life outside of organizing. But it's also like, when you care about something so much, that thing becomes your life and so 
then it gets to a point where it's so hard to separate like your value as a person from the value of the work that you're doing. And that's like dealing with that as as a 16 year old is like ridiculous. And I think they're just like a lot of funny moments like. I don't know, like, my first date was, like, canvassing for Tina Kotek. <laughs> and, like, it, it's just, like, the the contrast of it is, it's just absurd. It's, like, it feels dystopian. Um, I think a lot of that, like, adults in society perceive youth as being very naive. Like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you just don't understand. You think you're so powerful because, like, you don't understand how these systems work. I would argue that our quote-unquote not understanding of how the systems work is what makes us powerful Mm. because I think that like because we are young we can see the world with this sense of clarity that older people just don't have because Mm. they've been so worn down by this system that teaches us that we can't be powerful that we can't step into our power and so I think it's interesting like I sit on a couple of these random like government advisory committees and so it's it's odd to be sort of the youth member who's like hey like no why are we sitting in this space like arguing about which schools are going to get crosswalks with the Mm -hmm. funding and why are we not demanding more money for the state when they're spending Mm -hmm. billions on freeway projects and like having that sense of clarity and simplicity i think is is really powerful Mm -hmm. that's beautiful and it sounds like an amazing first date (laughs) (laughs) Um, danny it sounds like you also have moved a little bit from only the activist space also into kind of policy space. How did that happen? And what does that feel like to be like moving from in the streets to in the room where people are sitting with microphones and buttons that they turn on and off and stuff? Yeah, I view it as this work as I have to be the activist within within this room, right? I have to be able to be the person who asks the questions um, because a lot of of the questions, if no one asks them, they aren't going to get asked. People are going to fly right over them. And a lot of times I'm the person who, you know, asks the question and they're like, don't don't say you Can you think, I feel like you're talking a little bit about what Ada said about clarity. And can you think of a question you asked that you thought only you could ask? It was... One time uh, they were talking about a um, sustainable freeway. <laughs> and the thing about Magic. the term sustainable freeway is, it is in with itself is an oxymoron because a sustainable freeway doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's whole whole thing about a sustainable freeway. And then I was like, well, a sustainable freeway doesn't exist. So this is crap. And then everyone just being like shocked that I said that <laughs> like it just like making the room like quiet and no one talked for like a whole minute just things like that <laughs> but like that like when you say the loud you know the silent part out loud um a lot of people are surprised yeah. and that sounds like actually even more than a question that sounds like uh an evaluation yeah it, just calling out out for what it is mm-hmm. and it's interesting to think of the room going quiet which it sounds to me like is a kind of shift of how the power in the room was moving. So I kind of want to ask all three of you a little bit about your sense of power. What is the power of the organizing work you do? What gives it power? 
I could say the obvious answer, which is like the power is with the people, <laughs> right? <Woo>. And <laughs> and it's like hard to believe that some days because you're like, wow, it doesn't feel like it some days because mm-hmm. there are there is all this bureaucracy and there are all these just like entrenched systems where people have so much power over other people. And then unfortunately, like a lot of us don't have like very good training about how to like resolve conflicts in generative ways and keep the community feeling strong because we're all operating under like capitalism and this like type of capitalism where we're all just like out for ourselves. And so it can feel really demoralizing. But I have experience and so have Ada and Danny, that feeling of being of marching with 20,000 people mm-hmm. and like you feel like you know you can do anything and like every change throughout history that has benefited the people has always come from the grassroots it's always come from people saying no we're not going to take this anymore and actually you can't make us and when we stand together you can't tell us what to do we're going to tell you what to do but the only way we can really stand together and make a movement powerful is and maybe this is like corny or whatever but it's really through like love through genuine love and Mm. being able to say, okay, I disagree with what you're doing right now, but I'm not going to write you off because of it. And I'm going to stick with you and work through it because what we're working for is what's most important, right? Than our like egos or our dramas or anything like that. Yeah. Ada, you moved up to the mic. What are you thinking? I think a lot about like power and what power is. And I think a lot of the time power has this sort of negative connotation because we live in a world where power is so often used to cause harm. And there's so many things that we see like in our political system of, yeah, of power hurting our communities. And I think like especially young women are socialized to have this fear of power and to not want to step into their power and to want to like be quiet and complacent. And I think a big part of what organizing has made me realize is that power is not a bad thing because when power is held by the right people, when power is held collectively by communities, it has the ability to make such a positive impact on the world. Um, And I'm also thinking back specifically to a conversation that I had over the summer. I was at um, a summer camp with a bunch of youth from the Sunrise Movement. And we were sitting around the campfire at night and we were talking about power. We had just like learned this sort of module about power in a training during the day. And everyone just kept talking about it, um, about this like idea of is, is power good? Is power bad? Is power neutral? And eventually what we came to is power is like Um, like potential and kinetic energy. Like there's power in all of us. There's power anywhere, like everywhere. And organizers' jobs is to activate that power and like make people realize their power and make people realize their power together as communities. Mm. And that is something that like has very much guided my work. Mm. It's nice, really clear too, really clear way to think about it. I don't know, I guess I wonder, Danny, can you you think of an instance where you felt like, yeah, I'm feeling powerful right now i would say a lot of the times that i felt like quote-unquote powerful has been when i am with my community um only because community has the ability to change really anything i I think a lot about like youth versus odot um and the way that within 
a year, the script and the culture and the conversation about the freeway in the Portland metropolitan area has changed drastically. Um, I remember when it when we were talking about the freeways as just something that it's just going to happen. And, you know, there wasn't really any conversation about it. And then we see all these youth, you know, rally and protest and bring in elected officials and bring in organizers and do that. And now, you know, we open up, you know, the news and we see one thing about the freeway probably every week. You know, the like the Portland Trailblazers just came out against the freeway. Um, and that happens because mm. of, that happened because of like community power. Mm. Beautiful. It is beautiful, and it's interesting to think. Uh, I guess it's ma- it's making me go back now to the question of because I think you were talking a little bit about impact. One way you know that your actions have power is you see the results. And so now I'm wondering a little bit too about. We said at the beginning we were going to talk about intergenerational organizing, <laughs> and so I want to push back towards the intergenerational part a little bit. Uh, how much does it matter? who's doing the organizing relative to, say, that it's effective. How much do you want to pay attention to, whether it's all youth or multiple generations, for example? In my mind, like, the movement can't and won't be successful if we don't have the engagement of all generations because each generation has a specific strength that they bring to this. And so, like... Even in in sunrise spaces, which are like kind of quote unquote young people, um, there there are even like generations of people within that, and so sure. there's like the high school students who are sort of like just coming into this work, and then there are these adults who have who have been organizing longer, who can teach us and mentor us, and we can also teach them. And like I think a big part of organizing is this understanding in this culture of like we all have something to learn from one another even someone who has never set foot in an organizing space like they have something to teach us and so even with with the intergenerational bit like even when we think about student organizing it's difficult because you know people people are in high school for four years and then they sort of move on and so there's like generations of students within that even if even if it's not like the full society like Gen Z, millennial generations, there's still like this constant like learning and passing down knowledge. Um, And that works at a sort of like at a student school organizing level, but also at a like movement wide, like historical timeline level. Mm -hmm. Like we're constantly learning from like movements of the past and organizers from the past. I think a lot about uh, when people tell me, like especially uh, older people, when they tell me like, Oh, you're like you're so you're so inspiring, or like I'm so inspired, or what you talked about, which was, um, you know, like young people are gonna save us. Um, and I often tell people, you know, it's great that you find my work inspiring. I'm inspired by that, but I think what would be more helpful and more inspiring to me was would be if you were to join in yes. in my work. <laughs> Um, because I don't think it is enough to tell people that, you know, your your their work makes you feel good or that, you know, you can pit, you know, the problem off to another generation, which I almost find abusive <laughs> in some ways, um, if not neglectful. And so, like, I really I really think about that a lot and really try to urge people like, 
don't tell me that my work inspires you. Join me, right? Let's figure out how to work together. Let's figure out how to organize together. But don't tell me that, you know, my work is inspiring. I would, I think that we could all be inspired together (laughs) if we were to do something together. You're listening to The Detour with Ada Crandall, Susanna Kasuf, and Danny Cage. It's interesting because I think we've been, when I say we, I mean mostly you, have been talking about, I think, a lot of the ways that organizing can go well. And I want to at least take a minute and ask about the challenges, either moments that have felt tough or parts of it that just feel like, yeah, this is a huge obstacle. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the biggest challenge was COVID Mm -hmm. and just having to move so much organizing online um, because we had been talking about this a little bit before the break, but organizing on Zoom, it's just like everything that's hard about organizing and nothing that's fun about it. <laughs> I so agree with what Danny was saying. And I remember this time I was like with my friends and we were like, let's practice about how to say like, don't thank me, join me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it is really hard to be like, I have this busy life. I have a job. I have kids. I have like, how can I then? And I and same. And I'm thinking the same thing with my students, too. I'm like, you're so busy. And I want to say, go join the movement. But then unfortunately, in a lot of movement spaces, there's all this like drama and there's all this like uh you didn't do this good enough. And so you're like, I don't want to like cancel, like whatever, but like, (laughs) but it's true. Like we don't, we don't take care of each other enough because often people who are forced into being activists, because again, most people don't just wake up and they're like, you know what? I want to add on my resume activist. Like, it's like, (laughs) you're like you responding to injustices usually that you're facing. Mm -hmm. And so when you face a lot of injustice in your life, you have a lot of trauma. And when you have a lot of trauma, you are easily triggered. And unfortunately, when you're easily triggered, you act out and you hurt other people and we hurt each other. And so that to me is like one of the biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. Like how I read this amazing book uh, last year or the year before by Kazuhaga called Healing Resistance. And it's like, it's not enough to just fight the system and destroy yourself and your each other in the process. And it's not enough to just go to yoga and eat healthy and heal yourself when the system is destroying people. It's like, how can we in our movements make this a space of true healing for ourselves and for each other and like forgive each other and forgive ourselves and commit to staying with each other when things really get hard and when there's real conflicts. Danny, things that either building off what Susanna just said or other elements of the organizing work you kind of didn't know you were going to walk into and now seems to be a big part of who you are. Are there things that feel particularly challenging or moments that have felt especially challenging? Um, I would say when I would say just having to learn to work with people, um, because (laughs) you have on one side as an organizer, you have, uh, you know, op- the opposition. So that would either be, you know, rich people, political pack groups, you know, people who 
will want the world to die in the climate crisis. <laughs> um, and you have to learn how to work with that because you can't just go up. I mean, you could just go up and start yelling at people. Um, but sometimes you have to be strategic in what you do. And then you also have to learn how to work with people from um, who are dealing with uh, the opposition. There is an amazing book that I read. Um, how It's called How We Can Win. And she talks about um, having to work with people who may not always see eye to eye. Um, and, she, you know, she worked on ballot measures with, um, you know, Islamic groups and Catholic groups and pro-choice groups uh, and, and a climate group. And they all work together to get this ballot measure on. But, you know, within those groups, you can imagine how there might be some things that people don't see eye to eye on, especially with, you know, a pro-choice group and a conservative Catholic group. They, you know, there may be some things that uh, people don't see eye to eye on. And um, but, you know, they all wanted uh, with the same thing was this ballot measure to go on for affordable housing uh, in California. And, um, you know, I think that there's so much value in working with people who don't always see eye to eye on you. Um, I have had so much, you know, working with the government. One of the things that I have the, I would almost say pleasure with is working with people who, you know, are independents or libertarians mm -hmm. or even Republicans, as shocked as that might sound, because you, you learn that there, you learn that these people are human. I think a lot of times that we look at Republicans on Fox News and, you know, you see them as so different, but then you talk to them and you realize that they're, they're facing the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. They're struggling with affordable housing. Mm -hmm. They're also trying to put food on the table for their children. Um, and you learn that you're human and that there may be differences, but you can agree on some things. Mm -hmm. mm. As beautifully said, uh, and it's interesting the way you, you, you pointed to the challenge as working with people. And then you mm -hmm. talked about opponents, but also the people you think you're with. And then it felt like by the end of your comment, those two groups were actually getting a little closer together. That, that's super interesting and beautiful evolution to the thought to Ada uh, challenges. I think that it is, it's so hard to bring people together in a system that is constantly trying to tear us apart. Hmm. And like, you know, the reason that the climate crisis is happening and that these oppressive systems have been upheld is that the the status quo is constantly trying to like prevent movements like prevent people from organizing across race and across class and like realize that we all actually at the end of the day have a lot in common like we are all suffering under these systems to varying degrees and like our collective power is what will make us win. But like with the climate crisis, it's like there's been all of this emphasis put on like personal responsibility and like reducing your carbon footprint. And like that is an intentional tactic of the fossil fuel industry to make us fight with each other and to yell at the person who's, you know, using a plastic straw instead of realizing that like these massive corporations are knowingly and have been knowingly for decades making decisions that are making it so that there won't be a possibility of a future for like future generations on this planet. And so that in perspective, I think like once people realize that, that changes things a lot. Um, but then sort of on another note, like with with climate organizing and with any organizing, 
it feels like the victories are so few and far between mm. and the losses are so big and so frequent and it often feels like it's this constant battle of trying to catch up, trying to prevent the bad thing, trying to stop this bad legislation, stop this freeway expansion. And so it's like, how can we even begin to like conceptualize and build the world that we want when we're like trying to prevent it from getting worse? Um, mm -hmm. And that is so exhausting and so much weight. And so it's just like, it's very hard to feel excited about the victories when they're just sort of these like little bits in what feels like this cloud of just like scary bad stuff mm -hmm. that's heavy <laughs> yeah which is what the endeavor is too the endeavor is heavy for sure um i was thinking about the word you used earlier Susanna, the word love mm -hmm. and it made me think that my coworker Roselle Medina, who was really behind this episode and who isn't here because he's sick, I know he would want to be talking about love while talking about organizing. Um, and it feels to me like one of the ways to get at the heaviness and the size of the work. And I wanted to ask you, if I can, as we move towards closing this conversation, like, is there is there something that you feel like uh, here's here's when I or how I really feel love in this work. I think oftentimes like a primary emotion in organizing your activism can be anger. And I think anger has its purpose. Like we often feel anger in response to injustice. Um, and I often think that anger can be like a shield for our grief. It's like really hard to deal with the fact that like, we are facing like this mass extinction and we know that our future is going to be harder. It just like is going to be harder than mm -hmm. today. And we are up against so much and there's just so much to grieve and it's so hard to feel that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, Joanna Macy says that like grief is the other side of love. Like we only grieve what we loved or scared to lose it or we have lost it. And so I think when we can remember that there's so much power in our grief and to really allow ourselves to feel that grief because the world needs people to feel it. We can't, we, if we all just keep numbing out, we're never going to change anything. And I think when we organize and we act, we do our activism from anger, it can just burn us out so fast and we start to attack each other and we attack ourselves and but if we can instead just allow each other to grieve and to feel how painful it is to live in this world where there's so much injustice, then we can allow ourselves to really think about what do we love about this world? Why do we want to save it? Why do we want to fight for it? And, and that can really motivate us to to do this work in a generative way and to have fun. You know, like when Ada was talking about the the victories and the losses, it's true. It's just like loss, 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 loss. Ooh, victory, loss, loss, loss. <laughs> but you have to, when there's like a little victory, you have to have a party. <laughs> you have to have a big party with everyone you know and you have to hug and dance and sing and like celebrate that we are alive. You know, we are living and like, yes, things 
things are going to get worse. So we need to appreciate what we have now (laughs) and we need to live. We can't just say like, okay, fossil fuel industry, you get my life. Mm -hmm. Like you get my hope. Like you get my future. Like, no, you can't have that. You all right. Maybe you are probably going to take my future. But you know what? (laughs) You can't have my hope and you can't have my life because I'm still going to live to the fullest extent. <laughs> Actually, that laugh feels really important. The, la- the laughter while you were saying that feels like a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. It even feels related to how love shows up too. Mm-hmm. That like that laughter, that sense of joy, even in the face of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Ada, do you think about something you love or the way love shows up in your organizing? Yes, <laughs> um, I have met some of the most incredible people in my life Mm. ever from organizing people who I know are going to be there for me in the like best moments, best victories and the times where it feels like everything is falling apart and we'll never win. And like, why do we even try? Why do we even do this? And like finding people who can recognize that sort of weird dichotomy between being an organizer and being a teenager who will make me be like no Ada like you are not taking slack this weekend we're gonna like (laughs) go to the beach and like run around and like be kids and it's gonna be great um and like I think that that is a sort of like radical care like having people who at times will forcibly be like you're not organizing now because you need to take care of yourself and I think that's something that is easy for me to lose sight of to lose sight of that piece of like the climate crisis can't can't have my life like I get to live my life um and sometimes I need people to remind me of that and I have found those people in this movement and that is invaluable Danny Love headed your way what are you thinking about love and organizing I think a lot about the fact that we live in a world that lacks love. Um, uh, I think a lot about the way that, you know, uh, this book that I I reread probably at least once every two months uh, called The Care Manifesto. Um, and it talks a lot about love and the way that love has been under attack and care has been under attack. Mm. It talks about the way that Reaganomics and Reagan, which I find a way to blame somehow every way once, (laughs) once a week, I find a way to blame it back to Reagan or Nixon. Um, but you know, it talks about the way that love and care, you know, if you look at every system, social, you know, Medicare, social security, every system that is made to care for people mm. in our society, education that fosters people, every single one of those systems is underfunded. <laughs> I think about the way that love needs to be a priority in our politics, you know, I, you know, organize people and not have the main focus be anger and aggression, but we can have people show up, you know, and give out food and make sure people are cared for and make sure that there are laughs shared and tears shared and we can watch movies together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, organizing doesn't have to be this thing that, you know, people constantly show up and hold a sign. Mm -hmm. You know, we can take care of our community through different measures in different times. And so I just think of, you know, care and love as something that needs to be done you know, through our politics uh, and through how we approach the world, because there currently right now, in my opinion, isn't enough of care. Mm. There isn't enough love. Mm. It's interesting as we go 
towards the end at thinking about uh, even the examples you gave of government spending and thinking about what you said earlier about commonalities with independents, libertarians, Republicans. I actually think care uh, and love, I suspect almost everyone comes to the table thinking that they're, that they're motivated by love and care. Totally. And then so much of the difference seems to be in the form that it takes and that that's a challenge. It's hard to talk about different ways we love or different things we love. And so then it feels like they don't care and we do. And that's just really hard. Yeah. For me, it's one of the questions uh, that I carry around a lot of this is, why do I see what I'm doing as driven by love, but I see what they're doing as not? Hmm. And so what I want to do, if I can, is actually ask each of you, like, is there a question that you feel like a kind of open question for you? I think my open question is like how, whether we like win or lose, like what does it even mean to win or lose? And how are we going to take care of each other no matter what happens? Mm. I think my question is how how do I live my life to the fullest and be happy and find joy and also be contributing whatever I can to this movement? Um, and I think like I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I'm graduating high school. I'm trying to figure out like what am I doing now? Like every adult I encounter is like what are you doing after high school? And it's like... I don't know, like in the face of the climate crisis, it's so uncertain. And it's like, do I pursue being an organizer outside of the system or do I go into politics and like try to run a campaign off of joy and love and mm. caring for people? Um, yeah, 2024. I don't know. <laughs> we will work on each other's campaigns one day, perhaps. <laughs> Ada Crandall is a 16-year-old organiser with Sunrise PDX Youth vs. ODOT campaign and the co-lead of the Portland Youth Climate Strike. Danny Cage is a student representative on Oregon's Environmental Justice Council and serves on the Portland Public Schools Facilities and Operations Committee. Susanna Kasouf is a social studies teacher at Grant High School in Portland and a co-founder of the Sunrise Movement PDX. On March 22nd, Danny and I are hosting a Oregon Humanities So Much Together workshop about intergenerational organizing, um, specifically through case studies about our work in the climate movement. And so if you're interested in continuing these conversations or hearing more about the, the chaotic teenage organizer lives that we lead, um, join us. The link will be somewhere. You can find links to our guesswork in our show notes at oregonhumanities.org. The Detour is produced by me, Kieran Bond. Dave Friedlander is our editor. Adam Davis is our host. Special thanks to Roselle Medina for the inspiration and the organizing of this episode. Ben Waterhouse, Karina Brisky, and Alexandra Powell-Bugden are our assistant producers. Thanks for listening. See you next time.